if you're like me, um, you've become a little bit cynical about all the offers and promises we hear on TV from ads. And we just sort of laugh. This product will get out any stain on the whitest white, and it'll be perfectly white again. And it's like, yeah, sure. Or my favorite is you will lose seven inches around your waist and 30 pounds in the first month. And it's like, yeah, that'll happen. Uh, we know it's not true. We sit there and we say it's too good to be true. And we don't really believe it. It's just part of what we have to watch and listen to. There's always a catch. There's always a way out. Somehow it just doesn't work. The reason I bring that up is because I think there's people today, I know there's people today, who have come to feel like that's the same way with Christianity and faith and what God promises us in Scripture. There's things in there that are just too good to be true. They're not real. They won't really happen. It doesn't really work that way. And people apply that same sort of skepticism or even cynicism to some of the promises that God has made to us. I just have a couple real quick. One, Romans 8, 28, because we've been talking about that for the last several weeks. In Joseph's life, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In, in all things, even bad things, God can be working for good. Um, Ephesians 3, 20 is another one. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. And the skeptic sits there and says, I can imagine a whole lot. And God's going to do even more than that? Yeah, really? And we're left with this question that can God really do that? And I think it's even more than can God do it because we might set back, well, yeah, he could, he's God. The real question we wrestle with is, will he? Is he really willing to work that way in, in my life, in my family's life today? And I think a, a lot of folks might even say, well, yeah, sir, he did that in Moses' life. Yeah, he did that in Joseph's life. And somehow it's like, that was back in the Bible times, and that was sort of a magical time when really amazing things happened, but not today. And we feel like those don't apply to us today. They're too good to be true. Well, they certainly worked for Joseph. And we finally get to that point in Joseph's life where he wins. And I don't know about you, but I've been preaching it. And it's like, you know, this story is really bad. For several weeks now, we've been looking at Joseph just suffer more and more and more. He was sold into his slavery by his brothers, who after, I mean, after a whole discussion of, do we just kill him or sell him into slavery? And then, of course, he gets into slavery, and, and things turn around a little bit with Potiphar, and then, of course, he refuses to go to bed with Potiphar's wife, and his life even gets worse, and he's thrown in prison. And then we saw that... He was able to interpret a couple dreams for the cupbearer and the baker for the Pharaoh. And they got out but forgot Joseph and he sat in prison for two more years. We learn in chapter 41 that Joseph is now 30. And his life has been pretty downhill for 30 years. After he got his Technicolor dream coat, 
it was all downhill from there. But he has this promise from God. He had two dreams that said, you know, your, your star will be the, the bettest. Your, your sheaf of grain will be the greatest. And everybody's going to bow down to you. And I wonder how he wrestled with that. From whatever you want to think, 12 or whatever he was, he had that dream to 30. I wonder if he got a little skeptical about, okay, where is this? Does this really work? And he's still in prison. And then everything starts to change in chapter 41 of Genesis. If you want to turn over there, we're going to read parts of this story. The first seven verses, because Pharaoh starts to have dreams. Reading with, starting with verse, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Joseph's been in prison two more years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. Then after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those cows on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. I'd wake up too. I mean, you really think about that. That's gross. Well, so then he finally is able to fall back asleep. Another dream. This time, seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. Oh, it was just a dream. But if you keep reading then in chapter 41, Pharaoh calls all of his advisors, his magicians, anybody who should be able to interpret dreams, and he calls them and says, I had two dreams last night. Tell me what they mean. And all of them say, don't know. Can't interpret the dream. So Pharaoh's left with two dreams, no answers. And then finally, the cupbearer says, oh, I forgot. When I was in prison, there was this young Hebrew guy who could interpret dreams. I was supposed to ask to get him out of prison. I forgot. Maybe he can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh's desperate and he says, get him. And so if you read in 41, Joseph gets cleaned up, had to take a bath, I'm sure, after prison, gets new clothes and is brought into Pharaoh. Down in, uh, jump down to verse 15 then. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now listen carefully to Joseph's answer. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. There's one of the reasons that God could do great things through Joseph. Joseph didn't take the credit. Joseph said, Pharaoh, this isn't me. This isn't Joseph. God can use me. It's God who's going to do this. And so then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, and then Pharaoh explain, I, Joseph explains, here's, here's what it means. Jump down to verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. 
the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Joseph lays it out for Pharaoh. Here's what it means. If you read the rest of the chapter, he says, Pharaoh, you better get together an, uh, a plan here and get somebody to organize a, a national plan to save the grain of these first seven years so somebody has, uh, people have something to eat in the second seven. Then if you jump down to verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? one in whom is the Spirit of God. And so Pharaoh hires Joseph on the spot. You're the man. You organize it. You do it. Now remember, as we piece this together from chapter 41, in the morning, Joseph woke up in prison. Now jump to verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and the people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Remember that promise we read from Ephesians where God said, I will do more than you can ask or imagine? I think this qualifies. I mean, I think had we interviewed Joseph in the morning and said, what would you be really happy with? He would have said, if I can just get out of prison. You know, what, and, and I think he might have listed a whole bunch of things that he would have been very pleased with and would have said, God has really come through. I doubt if anywhere on that list would have been, I will now be the ruler of Egypt, prime minister of the whole nation. I, I doubt if that would have been on Joseph's radar. When God came through for Joseph, he came through for him in a way that was beyond anything in his wildest dreams. God was able to take his suffering and his loss and all of that and transform it into good. And had he been, not been in prison, he would have never known that cupbearer who said, Pharaoh, I got a guy who can interpret dreams. All of those pieces had a purpose. And God used those purposes and even that suffering to bring Joseph to a place that was more than he could have ever dreamed. God did keep his promise. But that still leaves with us that other question, doesn't it? Well, he did that for Joseph, but will he do that for me? Will he do that for you? And I think a lot of us sit there and say, yeah, somebody, oh, that person over there, yeah, he'd probably do that for them. Or that person two rows up, or, or, or that friend of yours who's super good and righteous. But a lot of us would sit there and say, but me? There's no way. Well, I think you're wrong. I think God wants to work today in amazing ways. 
I don't think he loved Joseph more than he loves us. He loves us enough he was willing to ask Jesus to die for us. He loves us pretty much a lot. He wants to be with us and help us and bless us. That Romans 8, 28 passage, it does apply to us. God is willing to work good in all things in our life, your life. He really is. He really is willing to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. One other verse, and I put all these verses in the, in the sermon notes because I urge you, if you don't normally, today take the sermon notes home just for the scriptures and keep them around to review. There are some foundational scriptures in here that you need to review, I need to review because they remind us of how much God cares and his promises to us. I want to add Jeremiah 29, 11. Spoken to Israel as Israel was defeated and going into captivity as slaves. And like Joseph in prison, they saw no hope. And felt like God didn't care. God had deserted them. God was, had given up on them. And yet he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And he wanted Jeremiah to tell Israel that as you go into captivity, please know this. At some point, these are my plans for you and my plans will come about. And just like Joseph had to sit in prison for a while, so did Israel have to sit in captivity. But this promise of God came true. And I believe these promises are available to us as well. Well, if they are available to us, then the obvious question is how? How does this happen? One of the first ways it happens is the next two verses after Jeremiah 29, 11. After that, in the following two verses, God says to Israel, Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There is a, a I don't know if it's a condition, it's a way for us to experience this promise of God. And that is, we've got to come to God and seek Him. He says, when you come and seek me with all your heart, when you pay attention to me, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to help. And the plans I have for you are good if you'll come to me and listen. If we're honest, aren't we often guilty of saying, I want to do my own thing, and I want to do what I want to do, and if things go haywire, then I'll come to God and say, hey, God, bail me out. But we've spent most of our time doing our own thing in our own terms because we want to be in control. Instead of coming to this God and saying, I want you to be my God because I know the plans you have for me. And so I want you to call the shots. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. 
Because I believe not only have you died for me, but that shows me how much you love me and want good in my life. I want to follow you. It's to my own advantage to follow you and let you direct my life. That's part of how we experience that blessing of God. It's not ignoring God, doing our own thing, and then complaining when God doesn't bless us. I think God has every right to say you've played the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, and you've gone off into the far country on your own, and you wonder why life's not working. At that point, God says, duh. You know, isn't it obvious? You didn't want me, so I left you. Do it on your own. I think that's part of the beginning is that we have to come to God and seek his guidance. Let him be our God. If we do that, he will bless us, but he also gives us some guideposts. And I want to look at a few of those. Because I think some of this becomes a matter of expectations. What should we expect from God and this blessing that I've said, I think Scripture promises us? What is, what is real, not just realistic, what has God said, this is how it's going to work. This is how I will bless you. I think these guideposts, sort of like the North Star, to help us to know how God is going to work and what this is going to look like. One of the guideposts he's given us is a warning that this won't, his blessings won't always be what we asked for, what we wanted. In Isaiah 55, first of all, in verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God isn't going to do everything we ask him to do. Because sometimes his plans are going to be different. And we can get frustrated by that and say, wait a minute. But you need to read verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The distance from the soil we're sitting, standing on, and the heavens way up there, that is how different God's ways are from our ways. How much better, higher are His ways, His thoughts. And that's why He says, I'm not always going to do exactly what you've asked me to do for you, because I have a better plan. Remember Joseph in prison? If he'd gotten what he'd wanted, he would have gotten out of prison, maybe a new set of clothes and his freedom. God said, oh, Joseph, I don't want you to settle for a free door out of, out of jail and a new set of clothes. I have something way better for you. And I think when it was all over, Joseph would have said, I'm glad didn't, God didn't give me what I asked for. I'm glad God gave me his way. His way was higher. So one of the things God tells us about is that I will bless you and I do have good plans for your life, but they will not always be exactly what you're praying for. And don't make a judgment at that point that I don't care or that I'm not going to bless you or I'm not going to work good from this bad time. But you need to open your eyes because I may have something much bigger that's coming. And he tells us up front, he's going to do that. 
The other thing is, like Joseph, we may have to wait. Joseph sat in prison for two years after he interpreted those two dreams. I'm sure he thought, next month, next week, that cupbearer is going to tell Pharaoh, and I'm going to be out of here. And then it was two months, and then three, and then 12 months, and then two years. David says in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Hang in there. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Just as God's ways are not always our ways, God's timing is not always our timing. And we don't always understand why. And we can ask, I ask, I'm sure you do, and he doesn't always explain why. But we would make a mistake to interpret the delay of God that he's not going to work. It is simply another example of his timing is not our timing. And that we have to hold on to him. Be strong. Hold on. This is a scary ride and God knows that. But there are reasons that we're not aware of, but he is, why this delay needed to happen. Why we had to sit in prison for two years. And we had to trust God for that just like Joseph had to. The final one I would notice is that God doesn't always remove all our problems. I think this is a matter of those expectations I was talking about. Because I think somehow we all want this fairy tale that once God sort of comes through and, and we get our blessing, that means everything's fixed. And everything's going to be fine from now on. And, and boy, hallelujah, the day has come. But the reality is we live in a broken world and we live in a world where the prince of this world is Satan. And the prince of this world is a roaring lion looking for people to devour. And that's not going to end right now. No matter how God comes into one situation and helps or blesses or delivers, we're not done. And that's hard because we don't want to go back into it. We don't want to do this again. But until Christ returns or until we die, that's the world we're living in. That's why Jesus spoke to us, John 16, 33. As he's getting ready to, he knows, be executed on, on the cross and then go back to heaven and leave these disciples he tells them, I've told you all these things so that in me, in Jesus, we may find peace. In this world, in your circumstances, you're going to have trouble. You are going to have trouble. That is present, active, continuing. You're going to keep having trouble. In your circumstances, take heart. I have overcome the world. Our peace has never been promised to us in all wonderful circumstances in life. Not now, not in this world. There are times God will deliver and God will bless and God will answer and we celebrate those times. But it doesn't mean it's over. And we have to remind ourselves that we are still in a war zone. 
And there is still a lion out there. Even if he was defeated today, he's going to come back. And much as we desperately want him to leave us alone and go eat somebody else, he comes after us again. And we have to prepare for that. And realize that is a part of life now. Our world is broken. And we all lament how it's getting worse. But Scripture warns us it's going to get worse. Our hope isn't from our circumstances. Our hope is in me, Jesus says. Keep your eyes on me. I have defeated that lion. I have ripped his teeth out on the cross. And my power to defeat him was proven on Easter morning when the stone was rolled back. His greatest super weapon of death was defeated. I can handle him. Follow me. Stick with me. Keep your eyes on me. Not the waves, not the storm, not the wind. In this world, you will have trouble. But keep your eyes on me. You see, I've already defeated him. I have overcome the world. The prince of this world is already condemned. He's going to lose. And I'm going to win. Keep your eyes on me. I can handle what you're facing. I can handle what you're facing. Because Jesus is the winner. And that's what God wants to offer us. It is a promise. He wants to offer us an invitation to be his son, his daughter, forgiven and washed So though our sins be as scarlet, we become white as snow. And as forgiven sinners, we become heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. Citizens of the kingdom of God with his spirit in us. That he will help us and work in our lives and bring bad, good from bad. But it's not just in this life. But that when we are tired of this marathon war, we are going to a place and a time that will be perfect. Beyond anything we can imagine. And it will go on forever. And our 20 years or 40 years or 60 years or 80 years will be a tiny blip in an eternity of joy with our Heavenly Father. And I think we all are sitting here saying, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. We're going to figure this out. I think when we're there, we're going to say, who wants to talk about that? That is so yesterday's news. We are here in heaven. It is a perfect world restored to the perfection God intended, and it is so great here. I don't want to talk about when it wasn't great. And that's what God wants to offer us. In closing, I would like to let Paul close us with one more passage. There are a lot of passages today, but I just want you to have them at home. And that's in 2 Corinthians 4. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, our circumstances aren't good. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, the Spirit of God in us. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God promises to take care of us if we love Him. And He will for eternity. We have as great a gift as Joseph or greater. God will take care of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you offer to us, that you will be involved in our lives, and even though we go through tough times, you have promised that your plans are to help us and bless us and bring good from bad. Help us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In his name, amen.